This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Have you heard of the very low-calorie diet? In this day and age, when everyone is moving away from calorie counting, why am I talking about calories? Well, hold your horses. We are soon going to find out. But first, I want to talk about reviews, my friend. Listen, now I know I keep requesting you guys to please write reviews on Apple Podcasts, and I know this sounds repetitive, and I'm probably sounding just too annoying right now. It doesn't seem like a big deal at the outset, but, you know, as with anything on the internet, reviews are very, very important. This is one thing with podcast reviews. The more reviews this podcast has, the more easily other people can find it. It really does help with this podcast to get noticed by other people who it can help. For those of you who've already left me a review, I'm very, very grateful and I'm very thankful. Thank you so much and thank you for being patient while I ask for more reviews. Listen, there are so many of you I know who are listening and for sure have not left me a review. If you could just please be so kind as to do that, I would really, really appreciate it. It really helps the podcast. And it's easier than you might have thought. All I ask of you is to fill out that Apple podcast review on your podcast app, if you would be so kind to do that. It helps the podcast to be more easily found within Apple Podcasts for other listeners. We all need this help, right? Now, if you have an Android device, you're not going to be able to do this directly. But fortunately, there's a workaround. If you even have Apple Podcasts on your computer, you can just search for Decoding Obesity and do your review right there. It's very, very easy. I have set a goal for myself of getting at least a thousand reviews on Apple Podcasts in 2021, and I request you, my friend, to help me reach there. The more, the better, of course. Another exciting thing is the Decoding Obesity Hangout. I want to extend a personal invitation to all of you to join me on my next Decoding Obesity Hangout. This is 100% free. It's a free meetup where you get to discuss your challenges about your weight loss journey, find accountability partners, and network with other people in different stages of their weight loss journey. So head on to www.decodingobesity.com forward slash hangout and get signed up for our next Decoding Obesity Hangout. Again, this is 100% free and you get to hang out with others in the same boat. Okay, I'm very excited to welcome back Dr. Richard Linquist to our show. He is one of the directors of the American Board of Obesity Medicine, a trustee of the Washington State Chapter of American Society of Metabolic and Bariatric Surgery. He has practiced as a full-time obesity medicine specialist for 15 years and now has transitioned to consulting. Welcome back, Dr. Linquist. How are you? I'm well, good, sir. How are you? I'm very well. So let's talk very low calorie diet. You know, I've done these various episodes and, you know, each time I mention that, it, you know, there's so much more to obesity than calories. And here we are talking about calories all over again. So what exactly is a very low calorie diet? Right. Well, there, there is a point at which calories actually do matter, you know, so as well as composition, but a very low calorie diet actually has a definition. It's defined as 
of about 800 calories. And it doesn't vary that much for men or women, say 700, 800 calories. And that's in its most simple form. That's it. It's very low calorie, which is in the seven, 800 calorie range. Now it distinguishes from a starvation diet, which is down around 400 calories. Right. It's distinguished from a low calorie diet, which for women is going to be around 1200 calories and for men about 16 or maybe 1800 calories. So it's in that particular niche. Seven to 800 calories per day niche. Right. How did this come into being, this very low calorie diet? How did this all come about? Well, funny you should ask, because I actually had to go look that up knowing what we're going to talk about. My first acquaintance with it was with the work that George Blackburn and his group did in the Northeast United States. But the first description of it goes back to 1929 to a couple of folks named Evans and Strang that they published their results of a diet. But then it was really looked at in more detail in the 70s by Blackburn and and others in that group as really part of a way to make sure actually it came out of a protein sparing modified fast type of concept that it had to do with the nutrition of people in the hospital and how could you feed them to make sure that they got at least the minimum of nutrition. So there's a, a lot of pieces of the puzzle that link up. Currently, the most common usage is in a sort of typically a time limited way as a very aggressive intervention to lose weight. Yeah, I was going to ask you because it has to be it's very low calories. So obviously, it's not going to be sustainable over the long term. So it has to be as an, used as an intervention. Now, how does it work? It is just purely calories or is there more to it? Well, there is more to it. And I think you have to take a look not only at the calories, but by the nutritional composition. And this is where the little teeter-totter between calories and macronutrients really plays in. So I look at it this way. There's a lot of different ways that you can approach it, but here's sort of my simplified state school educated guy. I got to figure this (laughs) out. So you've got to have protein or you die. So protein is a significant composition of the VLCD. You have to have fat or you die. So fat is a significant portion of VLCD. There's no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. Right. And in our rubric of the carbohydrate insulin model of insulin carbohydrates leading to fat storage, we really want to try to keep the carbohydrates low. So a VLCD as modernly constructed is probably going to be 80 to 90 grams or 100 grams of carbohydrate, and then roughly the same number of say maybe 300 calories from fat and then only perhaps 100 calories from carbohydrate. The trick is actually keeping the carbs as low as possible. So about 100 grams of protein per day. Yeah. And then, um, you know, the carbs have to be really low. Yeah. Yeah. So is it safe? It is, but there's a few things you have to know about it. Okay. First off, we as human beings have a tremendous ability to adapt to all kinds of nutritional strategies, right? And if you say that, well, the first VLCD was back in 1929, it's probably back a few tens of thousands of years or hundreds of thousands of years before that when we would have intermittent periods with very low amount of calories to sustain us. But the basic trick, I think, with the VLCD is to build it in an intelligent way so that you have adequate protein, you have adequate fat, your carbohydrates are appropriately restricted so that you don't get a significant glucose insulin spike. And then you have the right composition of foods and then follow some of the labs that are involved. When you go on a VLCD, what happens is because your carbohydrates drop so low, you get a big use of the glycogen that's stored in your liver and to some degree in your muscle. 
And as you use that glycogen, you no longer need the water that's holding that glycogen in solution because that's those sugar compounds are water soluble. So exactly. you tend to diurese or pee all that out. That diuresis associated with a VLCD can lead to loss of both sodium and potassium. So you have to be sure to keep your, basically your sodium and potassium at appropriate levels and stay hydrated. If you get work around that, most people really don't have a, a big problem. It's, it's pretty tolerable. So how do you select patients who would be a good candidate for VLCD? Anybody? Well, there's a few things you want to you want to avoid. I think you want to avoid situations where people have really unstable diabetes or they've got other types of unstable disease, maybe severe renal disease probably wouldn't do it, cancer diagnoses, things like that. But basically, if someone's pretty healthy, you can initiate a VLCD with supervision. Right. And how long do you typically keep the VLCD on for? So it's important to realize that a VLCD is an intervention. So it's something that you do for a certain period of time to get the results that you want. It is not a sustainable long-term strategy, but it's an intervention. So some people, some practices that I'm aware of, their major tool is they start everybody on a VLCD and then they graduate them to a low-calorie diet or to a whole, and then later to some type of a whole food diet, maybe a plant-based if they want to, or a Mediterranean diet as a follow-up is a, is a nice long-term sort of metabolically satisfying type of nutritional plan for a lot of people. But I think most practitioners use it in people who want, who select to use it. And in my own practice, I talk to people about keto. I talk to them about whole food, plant-based. I talk to them about VLCD, low calorie. And once they understand, they kind of select. And that's been my experience. There are people who, when I show them the options, they go, I want that one. And it's the VLCD because it is the most rapid weight loss. It is the most aggressive strategy. And there's literature out there that suggests that people who lose weight the fastest are the ones who have the best long-term success. Right. I don't think that it has to do with anything miraculous about a VLCD and that rapid weight loss causing them to hold it off for longer. I think it has to do with the fact that they're committed and they're going to be adherent to this basic strategy. So there is a, a strong selection process that people ought tend to self-select. And if they're motivated, it's very effective. Most commonly, people will use it to get answer your question as long as they want to. Some people are bored to tears by two to three weeks, but the typical package that I've had a lot of success with is built around a 12-week module. I think what I've seen is that a lot of places use the VLCD as an initiation point so that they start them on a very, very scheduled regimented diet, and then they reintroduce them to a new diet pattern. And I think that's where it holds its value because you're completely changing the diet and changing it piecemeal may not work for the patient. But so resetting it completely to a new form of diet, basically unlearning your previous practices and relearning new practices. I think that's where it does hold some value there as well. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. But I want to point out to our listeners that, you know, this is an intervention that has to be done under medical supervision. So obviously, we do not encourage anybody to do this at home without the supervision of a physician who's trained to, you know, intervene and trained to take care of patients on a very low calorie diet. So, you know, I know that patients who are, say, on a ketogenic diet or who are doing some intermittent fasting, They do go into a little bit of ketosis and that does help with the hunger part of it because, you know, being in a ketogenic state itself suppresses the hunger. 
But what about the VLCD? How do people manage the hunger in this diet? Well, that, that's a great question as it leads to this whole physiologic flow, if you will. By nature, VLCD is going to be ketogenic unless it's composed of carbohydrates. In which case <laughs> you're just going to, but that's not what a VLCD is. But by nature, a VLCD is typically going to be, I'm going to say, no more than probably a 30 or 40 or 50 grams of carbohydrate total in the dietary approach. And that's going to depend on if you're using products, what the composition is, if you're incorporating whole foods, how much of what. But by definition, that 30 to 50 grams of carbs is a very low carbohydrate diet. Yeah. You will be in ketosis. So you get the benefits of a ketotic type of approach with the very rapid weight loss associated with very low calories. So that's, I lost track there for a second. So basically all VLCDs are going to be ketotic diets. Okay. And so that's what kind of helps with the hunger as well. Well, it does. And typically what you find is people, by the time they've been on a VLCD for three or four days, most of the side effects are passed mm. and they start to have really a lot of a big decrease in hunger. And, and do they see the same side effects, you know, like the keto flu, that sort of side effect, muscle cramps and everything? Yeah, it can be pretty much. The big thing is that you have to work on staying hydrated and you have to work on having some sodium in your diet because you're going to tend to diurese a lot of salt out and maybe taking a little bit of over-the-counter low-dose potassium, maybe eight mil equivalents a day, four to eight mil equivalents sure. a day is reasonable. But the most common side effect is you might get kind of fuzzy-headed or fatigued, feel kind of lightheaded, maybe postural, getting lightheaded with changes in posture because of the fluid shifts. Yeah. But typically by the time three or four days go by, that's gone. People have pretty good hunger control because the ketosis effect blunts hunger. And it's curious, a lot of people then have a period of time they say, I feel great. I've got all this energy. So it's a little unpredictable on how people are going to respond, but you need to coach them into, hey, replace some salt, replace a little potassium, drink a lot of fluid, yeah, and make sure that you do get your meals on time. Yeah, yeah. You need to be very careful about, you know, not going gung-ho and not eating at all, you know, getting very excited and going into like a starvation mode. Because it's funny, there was, a, I don't know if, you, if you're aware of the starvation studies done in Minnesota, where they basically try to see how long can people go with very limited amount of calories. And it did have a lot of long-term detrimental effects. I think the study lasted for about six months or so. And then they saw long-term effects in terms of how the, the human mind works. And it was constantly food-seeking. And that it had some detrimental effects also. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, and they were truly in starvation. Yeah. And, you know, distinguish the VLCD is not a starvation diet. But was that work from the 40s? Yeah, it was around the, I think around the time of yeah. the, the World War or something. Yeah. Or probably because they yeah. wanted to see how would people be able to survive if there's not enough ration available. Yeah. The reason why I bring this point up is not because of the VLCD, but Sometimes people can be over-enthusiastic and try to go into that starvation phase, which we do not want them to go into because that itself can have some detrimental effects. That's, right. That's the reason why it should be monitored and should be undertaken under the care of a physician who is experienced in this. That's right. So what are the potential side effects of a VLCD for patients in your experience? Well, some of them are the ones you mentioned. You know, I mean, to go back just a second, the work that you mentioned about the starvation diet, that was done by Ansel Keys. Yeah. That won him, I think, the Nobel Peace Prize and back in the 40s. And in fact, that led to the, his initial keys, 
led to K rations, which were the combat rations in the military. So what they found with that starvation diet, you're right, they were just totally, they didn't have enough energy substrate to think right, okay? Right. So the VLCD doesn't give you that problem. You're getting adequate protein. You need probably, I'm going to throw out there, maybe 1.2 grams per kilo per day protein. The numbers of 0.6 to 0.8 are probably on the low end. You're not probably really replacing some of the nitrogen turnover. Don Lehman and other people have, have pointed to the fact that if you can get higher degree of protein, you're going to do better because you can use protein as a substrate. You can manufacture glucose in the liver through gluconeogenesis, right. through gluconeogenesis directly in the liver. So you're getting adequate protein. And because you're going to be replacing good, healthy fatty acids with enough omega-3s and omega-6s, the essential fatty acids, you're not going to have nutritional defects in essential fatty acids. So you're getting all your essential nutrients. Typically, I think a multivitamin is a pretty good strategy. Yeah. So you're going to get your vitamin. So you can go on a VLCD for a tremendously long period of time with good muscle preservation, uh, good cognition, good function, and not getting into trouble. The big thing that people get into trouble with is they just get bored to tears and they see everybody else eating. <laughs> you know, and there's the social aspects, there's the memory that, hey, that, you know, those Godiva chocolates really taste good, you know, and, <laughs> or fruit. I would kill for fruit. Yeah, you know, it's funny because there are also studies showing that when you're hungry, the food actually looks better. It tastes better. Yeah. Your inhibition goes down. So you're more likely to actually go and indulge in those foods. So yeah, I mean, it might be difficult to sustain long term unless you're in like persistent ketosis where your hunger is suppressed because of the yeah. ketogenic yeah. state. But how would you put a patient on a VLCD diet? Would it be just meal replacements? Because a lot of them do that because it really simplifies the whole process. You just put them on a meal replacement. The patient doesn't have to think about it, especially when it's used as a reset modality, wherein you're just putting them on something fresh and then you're going to start reintroducing real food gradually. So yeah. there, I think meal replacement may work, but have you used VLCD with whole foods? Say so somebody doesn't want to go on meal replacements. Well, yeah. So if I can back up just a little bit and talk briefly about labs, because sure. if we don't, I'll forget it. And basically, when I'm going to start anybody on a VLCD, I'm going to make sure that they have their cardiovascular status is, is intact. I'm going to check an EKG because I want to look and see if there's any potential for rhythm disturbances. Because if you diurese and, and pee yeah. off a bunch of your potassium, you can lead to heart irregularities. So it's important to have some supervision with this, right? So check the heart, blood panel, chemistry panel, CBC. I like to check lipids because they sure. change so much with a nutritional intervention. If they haven't had an A1C in some time, I'll typically check that as well. And depending, I oftentimes will check a vitamin D as well, especially curiously in these days of COVID, it turns out that vitamin D levels do have an association with COVID. Yeah. Vitamin D seems to have an association with everything at this point. I mean, yeah. that's the new yeah. hot vitamin around. It's the new hot <laughs> vitamin. Yeah. So then you've decided, okay, somebody wants to start a VLCD. What do you do? As you pointed out, you've got your choice. You can go all meal replacements. You can go all grocery food, or you can do a mix. The literature is probably strongest around the meal replacement strategy because there's so much structure with it. And in fact, I will maintain it super hard to do a VLCD on grocery food. It just, other people may have a more favorable experience with than I do, but 
what I found with people are trying to use grocery food, they have to weigh and measure. They have to be very careful. And it requires a degree of focus and attention that can be very, very difficult for many people. So structurally, I think it works best the fewer the decisions that you have to make. So you don't yeah. wind up decision fatigue and decision anxiety around what the choices are. So I think the most favorable experience has been with meal replacements. A lot of people, having said that, a lot of people like to have a social meal or don't want to get completely out of touch with grocery food. So one of the strategies that I've been able to use with people is three meal replacements and one grocery food meal a day. And that needs to be really basic with, you know, three to four ounces of a protein and a salad or a vegetable, period, end of story. Got it. But in most of the VLCD interventions use essentially meal replacements. And it's an interesting thing. The, the United Kingdom did a big study. I think they're about three years out now. It's called the direct study, D, capital D, small i, capital R, E-C-T. Yeah, I think it was the outpatient study where they looked at what interventions can be used, I believe, if they can be used by primary care physicians or healthcare workers in remote regions yep. when they use these VLCD practices? I think that's the study that you're alluding to. That, well, that's exactly right. And they did it with 100% meal replacement products. And they yep. found a 50%. They had, I think, a 15 kilogram in weight loss endpoint. And they wanted to see how many people went into remission on their diabetes. And what they found yep. was that they had a 50% remission in diabetes. And people did well with it. Then there was a stepwise reintroduction of foods. Yeah. But I'll point out one of the things that seemed to make a big difference was the continuity of the counseling right. and the connectedness with that support. But there were good data. They had 50% at one year. At two years, I think they had roughly a third, I think, of people. I'll have to dig through it again. But no, yeah, but I think the key, you're right. I think the key was yeah. the, the counseling part of it because they was continuously in touch with those people. So yeah. that was very, very important so that they can maintain that, you know, that kind of a lifestyle yeah. is to follow up with people. That's right. Well, in my mind, it showed three things. One is the value of that support. Okay. Two is the fact that the VLCD method worked on a population basis. Right. Yeah. That's very significant. Yeah. And three, remission of diabetes in people with type 2 diabetes. That's a big one. That's a big motivator, right? right? What do our patients come to us with? They say, I want to be healthy. I want to hang around for my grandkids. I want to be able to get up off the floor. I want to be able to be active with my family. So it's nice to have a powerful tool that actually works. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had this question because we know that calorie restriction does bring the resting metabolic rate down as well. So what about the VLCD? Does that do that to patients? Well, you know, I, I venture to say I'm sure it does. I can't think of a particular study in my mind, but every study that's looked at weight loss has showed a decrease in, in uh, resting metabolic rate. So it does. And curiously, that decrease in metabolic rate seems to be at least semi-permanent, if not permanent. I, I'm in the camp that thinks that there may be a little bit of a set point reset over a long period of time, given enough years. But I think in the in the practical time frame we're talking about, yeah, you're not going to burn as many calories. So you've got to, you can't go back to what you were doing before, <laughs> or you're going to have the same result. And in fact, you'll gain more weight because of that change in metabolic rate. 
Yeah, and and the the rest of the metabolic rate once it goes down, it kind of stays down. That's why the yo-yo dieting also doesn't work because each time you go back, you gain more weight. I guess how do you transition patients off of the VLCD? Do you slowly introduce them, or you just say, okay, this is the stop date, and this is when we're going to start this diet? Right. Well, one of the cornerstones of my style of practice is that structure really helps everything, but everybody's different. So. I will work with the patient and kind of get an idea. What do you want to do? I've, I've had people, I had a lady come in, she's after 12 weeks, she says, can I keep going? I go, yeah. I mean, there's no reason you can't. She was doing very well. But at some point, people have to get back in, into eating food. One of the, I think the easiest strategies to use that maintains some structure, but gives people more leeway is to start to reintroduce grocery food meals but maintain some of the meal replacement strategy. So at that point, it becomes what's called a partial meal replacement strategy, technically, because it's partially, the meal replacements partially replace. Yeah, you know, I did a a podcast episode with Angela Fitch on meal replacements, and I think they're a great strategy because, you know, it takes the indecision out of certain meals. For example, if you're at work and you're, uh, you're rushed and you don't have time to have lunch or whatever, it just takes that stress out of you. And Absolutely. then, you know, you just have that meal replacement lying there. So it's very helpful. And the same thing, you know, if you're if you're rushing to work in the morning, you don't have time, you can just get take the meal replacement in the morning and you're done. But the beauty of all of this is really, you know, it, it's individualized. So it, mm-hmm. I think I think the patient is in the driver's seat. So the patient decides when they want to switch to what. That's right. You hit an excellent, excellent point is that having to make a lot of decisions adds complication to your life. And it makes you have have to make cognitive decisions. You have to deal with your emotional attachment to food. So the simpler strategy that you can maintain over a period of long term is one of the most sustainable strategies. So when people do start to reintroduce grocery food, it's really helpful for them to use the insights that they've gained in that meal replacement time frame. And people, you know, you've seen it, People get all kinds of insights. They think they think that they're there to just lose weight, but all the layers get peeled off and you get all kinds of personal insights and spiritual insights and physical insights. There's just all kinds of stuff that happens. It's a journey. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the other thing I want to say is that we talked about, you know, the water that comes off when you're going on a VLCD because of the the glycogen use up. So, you know, obviously patients would initially get very excited because the weight loss is going to be fairly fast because of the water weight that's coming off. But that's the other thing to keep in mind. As the water comes off, at some point in time, the weight loss is going to slow down because the initial loss is all the water weight that's getting lost. Sure. And that's true for any diet, be it a calorie restriction, be it anything, because even calorie restriction is going to restrict your number of carbohydrates or the amount of carbohydrates. And that's what's going to cause you to kind of lose that water weight. And that's what's going to cause you to lose the weight. That's right. But you know, it's, it's still true. What you say is true. And we can use that to kind of build with patients, right? And say, look, yeah, you're losing water. That's fine. But look, you're also losing fat. And we're right. going to maintain as much muscle mass as possible. So when you come back, we're going to put you back on the body composition and show you what you're made of. So you can see that, yeah, you've lost water, but you've also lost a lot of fat. And people will lose a lot of fat. And you, it's not uncommon to see two pounds a week, a pound, two pounds a week, three pounds a week. It depends on the individual. Right. But weight loss in the range of 10 to 20 pounds a month or you know, I've had, depending a large man, I've seen a guy came back in after a month, he'd lost 35 pounds. I go, well, oh, wow. what are you doing? Yeah. And, and yet he would follow it perfectly. 
he was fine. He says, I feel great. All his labs were fine. So it really varies from person to person. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, if they're going to be on a VLCD, you know, any calorie restriction will cause a loss of the fat mass, of course, water weight. Yes. And then there's also a loss of the fat-free mass. That's the muscle mass that gets lost. No matter what kind of a diet you follow, that's going to happen. Are you concerned about that at all on a VLCD? Because, I mean, we are essentially maintaining the protein intake. So are you concerned about that? Not really. In a way, you have to accept whatever you get, right? But if we're replacing adequate protein so that that those protein stores are being replaced as they turn over and you're getting plenty of essential amino acids, you're not causing any malnutrition there. That's good. And then fatty acids, you're replacing them adequately as well. So at one point, you just have to kind of accept what you're getting. It's tempting to say, oh, you should start an aggressive weight building program while you're doing a VLC. That's just a terrible idea, right? Make one change, adapt to that very dramatic intervention. Make no mistake about it, a VLCD is a dramatic change. But by getting adequate protein over time, I always look for a ratio. If I could get people to lose two to three pounds of fat for every one pound of muscle uh, or lean lean mass, fat-free mass, that's a pretty good ratio. Every so often, somebody would come in and they wouldn't lose fat-free mass at all. I go, great, your physiology is perfect. Someone else might come in, they might lose, you know, might be more like a one-to-one, one pound of lean mass for a pound of fat. That's kind of unusual. But it's definitely, definitely expectable that right. you're going to lose two, three, four pounds of fat for every one pound of lean mass. Yeah, and I, I think that's very important because a VLCD is not just a very low-calorie diet. It has to be a structured program wherein you maintain the protein intake, you maintain the fat intake because those are your, the protein at least is your is your muscle building block and you need that to be there so you cannot be on a diet that's just low calorie and it's rich in carbohydrates that's not going to work that's right and you got to get enough essential fatty acids you got to have you have to have uh, linoleic acid and alpha linolenic acid those are the two essential fatty acids that humans need so uh, but if you structure that it's definitely a doable thing you asked about getting started on the diet i like to see people back at approximately a one week interval Maybe two weeks if they're doing super duper and they don't need me. But I think a check in it a week. How are you doing? If they're getting lightheaded and they're complaining of falling down when they get up to go to the bathroom, you don't want that to go on too long oh, yeah, before you have a, a chance to sort out what's going on. Yeah. And I, the other thing is if the patient is, say, is has a high blood pressure and they're on antihypertensives, yeah. because of all the water diuresis, there can be you know, the volume loss in within the blood vessels, that that itself, if it's causing lightheadedness, they exactly. take the, the medication, it's not going to work well. So they'll end up in the hospital admitted. And that's why, you know, we just hammer this point that it has to be supervised by a physician because yeah. somebody has to be watching your back when you're yeah. doing this. Yeah, I would moderate that a little bit. I say that, you know, our... Uh, Advanced practice providers do a good job too. Right. No, no. Yeah, of course. Anybody who's experienced with this. Yeah. yeah. What I was trying to say was you you should not be starting this at home, just sitting at home and doing it. You should have somebody who's experienced in this and, you know, going to them and seeking help for this. Yeah, that's right. Well, and, you know, as a practitioner learning how to do this, it's, it's not like this is taught as common knowledge in medical school, although due to the to efforts by people like Nick Pennings and, and others, there's a lot being done in the educational world. As a provider, you think, gee, somebody comes and says, I want to do this VLCD. You go, what? Very low, 800 calories? Are you crazy? I was taught to never go 
below 1200 calories right. without supervision. Well, that's right. We're providing the supervision. So we need to know what's going on. But I think if you simply start out as a provider, check some basic labs and the secret to doing right by our patients, I think has a lot to do with ranging follow-up in a timely way. How are you doing? And you just simply paying attention. Yeah, because it is a drastic intervention that you're taking, you know, that you're undertaking. So really it requires close follow-up. If a patient is going to be, you know, not following up, I don't think that's the right approach. I agree. And it can be intimidating to a practitioner who's just learning how to do it. Right, so, right, right. You know, like, but you do it a few times, you realize that people actually do well. It's a good feeling. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been a fun discussion, Dr. Linquist. Do you have any parting thoughts? You know, not really, except I think if you're if people are interested in a VLCD, there's a lot of literature out there. They can be safe. There's a handful of things you want to do. Check some basic labs and by all means emphasize hydration, 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 because the ketosis alone can blunt some of the thirst mechanism as well, too. So, you know, I think that it has a lot to offer and it's worth pursuing as and if, as a, for providers, it's worth knowing how to use it because it can be a really great intervention. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we want to do what's best for our patients and help them get where they want to go. Absolutely. Get to a healthier weight. Well, that's great. Listeners, I want to hear from you. I would appreciate if you could just spend a few minutes, write a comment, leave a review, or just say hi. Let me know how I'm doing and if there are any specific topics that you want to hear about. And please remember to review this podcast so that other people can also get exposed to this. And if you're finding this podcast valuable, please do share it with others. And this has been a very, very fun episode. Thank you so much, Dr. Linquist, for joining me. And I'll see you all next time. All right. Vishkar, thank you so much. This is a lot of fun. You're doing a great service for us all. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.